Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. This week's episode features Dana Jackson. She's the founder and CEO of Beneath Your Mask. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured the co founder of Geltor, Alex Lorstani. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be here with Dana Jackson. She's the founder and CEO of Beneath Your Mask. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Hi, I'm Dana. Like Jody said, I'm the founder of Beneath Your Mask. Jody, I'm so excited to finally be here with you and just share more about the brand and my journey and talk all things brains and beauty. Well, um, you and I met many years ago at one of the Indie Beauty Expo events, and I remember meeting you and being like, oh, my God, like I'm a super fan of Dana. And I know for sure that other people felt the same way because in all the um, post-event emails, like it was your <laughs> face and your name all over all these IBE emails. So um, I know I'm not alone in the Dana fan club. Um, so before we jump into your career journey, let's go back in time to maybe like when you were 11 or 12 years old. And if someone asked you what you want to be when you grow up, what would your answer be? I would probably have said something super general, like a businesswoman or just in business. I remember my mom always worked, you know, in a high rise building in downtown Chicago. And that was so appealing to me and just that hustle and bustle and so I, I thought that my path would be corporate America for sure. I wanted to work for a huge company. Well, um, let's fast forward then because you had a really fascinating career before you started your own skincare business. You were a business manager for entertainers. What is that yes. career all about? Tell us what that's like. So it couldn't be further from corporate America. And so interestingly enough, my career trajectory was not in corporate America at all. It was at all small businesses. And um, I did entertainment business management, which is basically like the financial liaison between every single person that works with the artist. So we'll handle tour management. Um, We're managing dealing with their managers, their attorneys, their families, their moms, their kids, making sure insurance is in place, making sure homes, everything is purchased properly, making sure all bills and credit cards are paid, making sure that budgets are proper and that the artists can net income when they go on a tour. Um, We're getting the buses, the hotel rooms, all of those are line items because you're dealing with creatives, which I've now become. So I completely understand that side of the world now. So everything is really about their vision. It's rarely about the bottom line. And so we're there to ensure that they don't go broke. (laughs) So that type of role requires like a real intimacy and trust between the business manager and the entertainer. Because it's almost like being a a spouse, right? Like a real partner. It does. My boss used to say, 70% of this job is the relationship, and it's so true. And it's managing and navigating that relationship with not only the artists, but with everyone in their life, with their team, with the people that they love, the people that are closest to them. And, you know, people always ask, do you date your clients? I'm sure you do. And I was like, look, I know things about you. Only I know things about them. Only a mother can love them through. So the answer is no. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's a bird's eye view into the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
<laughs> so is this like uh, musicians, actors, musicians athletes. and actors? Um, so the company that I was with did had a division that worked on athletes, but I only worked with musicians and actors. And those two typically interchange. So, you know, the person that is going on tour in the fall, maybe filming a movie in the summer. Right. And like, are you dealing with not just the talent, but like their, not, and not just their people, but you're dealing with like their family members too, I would think. Absolutely. Basically anybody that's coming to them for money or needs money distributed or needs something paid for or needs a loan. So that could end up being friends. That could end up being a side chick. It could be a lot of things. <laughs> oh my God. The, the, um, the type of, I guess, um, fiction inspired by real life that you could create out of a career. Oh my gosh. Like that must be amazing. It's so funny because I'm, I'm like a Scorpio, which means I, I'm going to take your secrets to the grave with me. But sometimes I don't want to know them is the other thing. It's like, it's like I just wish I didn't know. <laughs> just wish I didn't know. But yeah, it is. it was a super exciting career at one point in my life, for sure. And Very why, interesting. Why did you leave it? Well, it was a couple of things. When I ended up, um, and we'll probably talk more about this, but I had got burnout out a bit. Um, I worked 24 hours a day. I had to be available 24 hours a day. I really couldn't have a personal life. And so when you're in your 20s, early 30s, you don't mind. Like, you're chasing the career. And I was definitely trace- chasing it. It was the career of my dreams. I wanted it so bad. I... I envisioned myself having my own business management firm. Um, I was learning so much from my boss. So, but I got burnout and I did not have balance and I didn't want to be at their beck and call. And sometimes I felt like I wasn't making enough of a difference in the sense that I I was in a hamster wheel. Like, right, I save you $5 over here and then you find somewhere else to spend it. So, you know, and so... I remember just being on this conference call one time with a client, uh, a client's team, because their team is such a big part of like how your job is going to go and flow. And if they have a great team, it's better for you. But if they have an entry level team or a team that has tons of other stuff going on, like when I say team, I'm talking about mainly like the manager um, and stuff like that, production managers, Um, I would find myself like just questioning my purpose and like, had I outgrown this? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing in life? Do I really care if your stylist gets paid? Not that much. I'm over it. (laughs) And so I got to that place in my life. And then shortly after, I ended up getting sick. And so even though I stayed in the career a couple of years after, a few years after that, actually, there was a point when my um, boss, my company got bought out by Live Nation. And my boss had offered me the opportunity to take over our clients and I could finally kind of have my own business management firm. And I was like, no, this is my opportunity to tell my story, share my journey and share the products that have really been helping my skin and hair. And um, and so that's what I decided to do. I felt like that career absolutely prepared me to have my own business. I was running their businesses anyway. So I just always knew it was preparation for something, but it wasn't the end game for me. So you told me um, that God got your attention, and this mm-hmm. was through really dire health concerns. Can you take us back in time and tell us what was happening? 
Sure. So kind of going back to that business management space of just being so stressed out, so overworked, and basically available around the clock. Um, I was experiencing a lot of stress. And then also that was, I was getting migraines and cystic acne. And I had always struggled with acne growing up. So I was just like, I'm going to go to the dermatologist. And, you know, prior to me going to the dermatologist, I was praying for direction. So that conference call I just mentioned where I'm like, do I care if your stylist is paid? I was literally like praying for direction. Like, what is my purpose in life? Fast forward, I go to the dermatologist for the cystic acne. They prescribed me a medication called Bactrim. When I took the Bactrim, when I would wake up, my eyes would be swollen shut. My joints would be locked up. And they said, well, um, stop taking it. It should go away. Well, three weeks later and several steroid shots later, those symptoms never went away. And they said, this sounds like this could be lupus. And at the time, the only thing I knew about lupus was there was a girl on America's Next Top Model that had it, and she was always tired. And so, of course, I started doing research, but then also going and getting all these tests done. And there was a thing called drug-induced lupus, and I felt like, okay, this must be what I have. I didn't have these symptoms prior to, you know taking this medication, and that supposedly goes away. So when I went to back to the rheumatologist to get my test results, they said, oh, this isn't a drug induced. And I was like, no, it is. <laughs> so we went back and forth about it until she finally agreed with me. And I ended up going and getting second and third opinions. I, went, I was living in Atlanta at the time. I went to Houston. I went back to my hometown of Chicago to go to doctors. And everybody said the same thing. It's not drug-induced. It's in your kidneys. You're going to need dialysis and a transplant um, if you don't take this medication. And so I ended up really, really shutting down. I went through severe depression. I absolutely went through like the five stages of grief. And a colleague of mine that worked with one of my clients, she was reaching out to me about money. <laughs> and I I said, she's like, what's going on with you? You know, I'm trying to get in touch with you. And so I told her what was happening. And she said, I really want you to talk to someone, um, a friend of mine that is a Eastern medicine doctor, but she she's a Western medicine doctor, but she practices Eastern medicine out in Abu Dhabi. And I said, okay, I'll talk to her. I had nothing to lose. I was super independent, but I was just I had been praying and crying. My hair had all fallen out. Um, I had rashes head to toe. I had gained 100 pounds in water weight. So I was finally at the place of like, I just would rather die or I need to like, somebody needs to help me. And so um, I talked to her and she really got me to the place of acceptance with what was happening to me. And she said, you know, I want you, I want to help you but I need you to come to Los Angeles because I feel like you aren't happy in Atlanta and I'm going to send my husband there from Abu Dhabi and we're going to help you. And so um, when I say that, you know, God got my attention, I feel like he had been trying to get my attention, you know, looking back on all the signs in so many ways. Like I am one of those people that if I have a goal, I know that I can accomplish it. I know I can reach it, but at what cost? And so God, in my opinion, was saying, I'm forcing you to sit down because you won't do it on your own. I'm forcing you to have the relationship with me that you're supposed to have. I'm kind of forcing you to forgive people because, like, again, I'm a Scorpio. I hold on forever and ever and ever. 
And um, so what my gurus, I call them my gurus now, what they really worked with me on was not just taking like the Chinese herbs and juicing and the vegan diet. And I also did chemotherapy and um, high dose steroids that I had absolutely sworn that I would never do. I had to do that as well. I had to do both because I was so far gone. But they worked with me on like the mental and spiritual work. They even changing like the programming that I watched, like almost reprogramming a person from everything that they ever believed before. Um, it was easy for me to just like walk away from people. It was easy for me to just say like, I'm done with the situation. It was easy for me to focus on my career and on my family and my friends. And so that is what kind of lupus gave to me was like the true meaning of life and the true meaning of beauty and all of those things versus like, you know, what I perceived it to be before, which was just all based around like, you know, chasing success and lifestyles and stuff like that. So Dana, when you were really sick and um, like you said, you had um, physical manifestations, you had an emotional, I guess, grief and depression. um, It sounds like in some ways you were, you know, in a kind of giving up attitude um, yeah. as well. What were your family members saying to you during this time? Because I know you weren't living at home, right? You were right. Um, many miles away. Like, um, this must have been really terrifying for them to watch you go through this. It was. Um, my mother came to Atlanta before I ended up leaving to go to L.A., and she stayed there with me for a few weeks, and we water fasted Um we did like a lot of praying because I was also determined not to have to do all those medications. So I was trying to heal everything naturally. And so she just, you know, being my mom and not being able to put her hands and eyes on me was very difficult for her. And when I left um, Atlanta, I left my apartment. I never saw it again. I ended up having everything moved after being in LA for a couple months back to Chicago and put in storage. But then when I came to Los Angeles, You know, she, my family really wanted me to come back to Chicago and it was difficult for them to understand that they couldn't help me like I needed to be helped, right? They could give me support and they could love me, but the type of help that I needed was in Los Angeles. And so even though I was really sick, they weren't going to be able to physically be with me through this. And so when I came to Los Angeles, uh, the doctor, which my guru had prepared me for, because I was totally adamant, like, I'm not going to the hospital. She's like, any doctor in their right mind is going to put you in the hospital. And so when he did the EKG in his office, he was starting to do blood and then he got the EKG results. And he's like, no, she has to go to emergency right now. So they put me in ICU over at Cedars and my mother flew out immediately and she spent the week with me that I was in the hospital. I was in the hospital about 10 days and she stayed for about a week and just like slept by my side. And we had the time that we didn't have when I had this exciting career because not only did I live in Atlanta, the office was in Philadelphia. Um, my boyfriend at the time was in Houston. My clients were in LA. So I was never making it back to Chicago. And that's why I say, you know, it's just kind of like God kind of centers you and helps you figure out where your focus should be. And so now you make the time for the things that you didn't make the time for before and what should be like your priority. So it was difficult for you know, my mom and my sister to not be able to to be with me the full time. But I think just knowing that I was in good hands ultimately became enough. And seeing how my health turned around, it, it, it was worth it, but it was difficult. 
So Dana, this sounds like this time period was, it was life or death, right? You're talking about chemotherapy and these you know, really like intense, aggressive treatments. Like this was, this was not about, I just don't feel like taking a, a pill or a drug. It, this was like, if you don't take it, you're going to die. Right. Exactly. If, if they were telling me, um, if you don't take this, you're going to need dialysis and a transplant. But that was back in like April. So I kind of kept going back and forth. Like I take the steroids for like a couple days and I hated the way they make me feel and I would stop. So then I'm now making the situation worse because I'm going on and off this medication trying to be a doctor myself. And so when I came, by the time I got to Los Angeles, which was July, it had gotten progressively worse. It was just accelerating so fast and getting out of control so fast. And so much of it was, you know, my mindset and me I'm such a rational person that something needs to happen for something to happen and nothing happens. So like, how is this happening? And how is it happening so fast? And how is everything spinning out of control? And it's also, you can see the rashes and everything, but you don't see like kidney issues, right? So I'm still thinking like, let me, you know, just make sure I put this bentonite clay on this rash. I'm, I'm gonna naturally heal this and take some herbs. And it's like, no, when I got to the hospital, by the time I got to the hospital, they thought I probably had about four weeks left and they were treating me like that. And um, my guru said, he took them out of my room and said, she's she's going to live. So no, you need to treat her like she's going to live. Um, and so kind of like really turned the team that was working with me around in terms of like their approach to me. So it's interesting to me because um, it sounds like a, a- a pattern of saying no to people around your care. And then when that friend calls you and says, I want you to meet my my doctor friends, you're ready to say yes. Why do you think you're ready to say yes then? Because I, I just had no other alternative. I was at such rock bottom. Like I had stopped communicating with the outside world. I, I The building I lived in Atlanta had a hotel on the first seven floors. And so I would just order like grilled cheese and french fries every day. My, I wouldn't talk to anybody. My mom had to call the concierge to have them knock on my door to see if I was alive. I was so depressed and I wanted to die. So it's just a matter of hitting rock bottom and being really willing to accept help, which it took me to hit rock bottom because I was so independent. I did everything for myself. Um, I didn't like to depend on people. I I was not comfortable asking people to help. That's another thing. Asking people for help, that's another thing they worked on me with. that was a very difficult thing for me to just reach out and say, hey, I need you. I need help. Like, please help me. Anything like that, I just would, I would just literally spend my life trying to find the answer myself. <laughs> so um, that was, again, God forcing me to accept it. Because if it was something I could manage on my own, I would have absolutely managed it on my own and not allowed somebody to come help me, especially a stranger, because I always felt like, okay, now what do you want from me or what do I owe you? And they didn't want anything from me. I didn't, I mean, I literally never met these people in my life and she sent her husband from Abu Dhabi. Like, I think if you can grasp the magnitude of somebody giving to you in that way, I was not used to that. I was not, um, but I, I, kind of didn't have a choice either, you know, and thankfully I was willing to accept it. It's incredible, Dana. And then it's incredible that out of this experience, you decided um, I'm going to run my own business and share my story through my own 
my my own venture. Um, how did you go from you know the depths of despair emotionally and physically to now it's time to be an entrepreneur? So I was still working in entertainment throughout this time. I worked for a small company and they were super amazing during this journey. So they took one of my clients completely off of me and there was one that I felt like I could pretty much handle with my eyes closed and that's what I still worked. I had more support on that account, but I started working like way less. I started change, you know, just kind of um training my clients, right? So meaning everything is not an emergency. <laughs> and I operated from a, everything is an emergency space. And so as I began to kind of find that type of balance in my life, focus on my health, I, like I said, went to um, a vegan diet. I did a ton of Chinese herbs. I did the Western medicine also. I did a lot of juicing. And I started really learning about what I was putting in my body, eating things I had never touched before, things I'd never heard of. And I started becoming really concerned about what I was putting on my body as well. I had all these rash marks. I had dark purple stretch marks from gaining 100 pounds in water weight over 30 days. And as I was continuing to get better, as the water was coming off of me, I wanted to repair all of that damage in a way that was non-toxic and like not going to further challenge my immune system. But I wasn't even trying to create a business. I just wanted to create something that worked for my skin. And I did, and I would give it to like my clients, my colleagues, my family and friends. And people would harass me about it. And I was like, look, I don't have time to be making lotion. During that time, I also moved back to Chicago so that I could now be around my family. My company was like, look, wherever you need to live, you can live. Um, and so I was like, I, I wanna be around my family now. Like, I wanna be home just in case anything goes wrong and you know I go backwards in any way. At least I've had this time with my family. And so, Back in Chicago, I just started ordering, like researching ingredients and ordering ingredients. And I made this product, which is our Heel Whip Skin Souffle. This is like 2012 now. And people just obsessed over it. And I was like, look, I don't have time to be making lotion. Um, and I would even buy other companies' products and try to mix them together to get that same moment. And I just couldn't duplicate it unless I made it myself. And so I would have it, but then I was just like, whenever I run out, I'm like, I don't feel like ordering stuff. I don't feel like making it. Um, but then I finally was able to fly again. And I took a, a really long flight, actually. I was going to Dubai for my birthday. We had a layover in Paris. I had to wear compression tights because I still risk like blood clotting. And when we stopped in Paris, my skin was so tight and dry under those tights. So I was like, let me go find something to put on it. And I bought this like really expensive, like amazing cream. And two seconds later, my skin was tight and dry again. And that was kind of the aha moment that I really had something with this product. And then fast forward um, the, the change with my company and them getting bought out by Live Nation, I was just like, you know what? This is kind of the opportunity for me. I knew I had entrepreneurship in me. Prior to even working in entertainment, I worked for an accounting firm that we own. All of our clients were small businesses. And so I just knew that was going to be my ultimate goal one day. I just didn't think it would be in beauty. I thought it would be in business management and me having like my own firm. Well, um, let's talk about what it takes to run your own company now. You said that you invested all your own money. Yeah. In creating this. So I knew, again, that... From that point that I got lupus, I was already burnt out. And then as I still continued to work in business management for a few years after that, 
I handle things differently. I responded to stress differently. So I wasn't as burnt out, but I just knew that it wasn't my dream anymore. Um, I just felt like my dream or my purpose in life with lupus had a lot to do with these people coming into my life to help me. And I felt like I could help other people through, like, through what, how they helped me because I'm like, you know, God didn't just put these people in my life to only make me better. So if we can help other people through me, I think that was supposed to be like my purpose in life. And so um, I actually rambled and forgot the question. <laughs> well, you told me that you invested your own money in this. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, money. So I have been saving money for like some years. So prior to lupus, I always say the pre-lupus Dana and post-lupus Dana, I used to just like buy shoes and bags and stuff like that. And then post-lupus Dana, because I had to end up spending so much money on like supplements and health and stuff, I became like um, a really, really saver, saver, saver. And I also was saving because I wanted to do my own business, which at one point I thought was going to be a juice bar of all these blends that I had been making to like help myself. So I had been saving money for a few years. Um, I didn't have any debt at the time. I had kind of like paid, you know, everything off, um, like credit cards and stuff like that. So when I started Beneath Your Mask, I thought, you know, I had a good amount of money saved and this is going to be like, enough, but I just had no clue because again, my background is, is, is not beauty. Um, but yeah, I started it with my own money. I'm still 100% on the company. Um, so yeah. Well, let's talk about this, um, I guess, balance because early in your career, you said it was 24 seven, right? Mm-hmm. And that, um, probably felt like it would strangle you at some points, right? It's too much. And now you're growing your own business. And um, for me in my own business, I feel like the growth of the business is such a seduction, right? It's oh like God. these opportunities pop up, the email comes, rolls in, um, the, I see, I see a, a, like a white space and then my instinct is to jump on it, mm-hmm. even though like maybe I don't have the time or don't want to spend the time on it, right? It's this constant sort of internal battle about like, paying attention to these growth moments or pay attention to myself and my needs beyond the business. So how do you manage that seduction now that you're so much more cognizant of balance? Even though I'm more cognizant of it, it's still a struggle for me. And I don't think you could really be an entrepreneur without it being a struggle for you because every moment feels like that moment. Every opportunity feels like that make or break one or like this could be the one to get your business like where you want it. And I found myself... For, I would say, so Beneath Your Mask just turned four in this past December. I would say probably the first three years of my business, I'm just like, okay, just let me get through this month. Let me get through this month. Like every, but then next month, something comes up. Next month, something happens. And you think those opportunities won't be there. And so it's just really been this last year where I'm able to say, you know, if this is the opportunity that's meant for us, then it'll be there like when we're ready. So this is the first year that I've been comfortable saying no to things and no to opportunities that a couple of years ago I would have jumped at or like taking my time with things. Um, and so, but it, it is absolutely a struggle because you have a vision for your business. You can see that it can get there, but it's like, if I don't do everything in my power, will I get there? And it's like, the answer is yes, but it won't get there without me. So that's why I also have to take care of me. And what I realized, like, even our lip balm has become like this cult product, which is hard to top your hero product. Um, The lip balm is the most recent one, 
but we've been out of stock on it for a while. And I have people like, when is it coming back? Is it discontinued? Oh my gosh. And I was like, you know what? If we sold a million lip balms tomorrow, it wouldn't be worth my kidney. So that's how dramatic I have to be with myself. Otherwise, I'm going to try to meet the demand. And so um, when I put it in that perspective, that allows me to calm down. <laughs> but that's how dramatic I have to be with myself because it's like, yeah, I, I don't, you don't want to miss this opportunity. You don't want to miss customers like craving your product. But again, it doesn't exist anymore. I have a good friend. The same one that called me and like made me talk to her friend. She's like, look, nobody wants it if you're dead. <laughs> I think that it would be like a great T-shirt, right? <laughs> Selling a million lip balms isn't worth right. My <laughs> Even though some customers think that it would, like sometimes they'll make you feel like it is worth it, like it's that serious. And I have to even tell now my team, and I think that's why it's so important to put stuff and put things in perspective because I don't want them to go down the path that I went to. Like, I wish my boss before would have told me. It was until after I got sick that he said, oh, you have to train your clients. And some, if things can wait till the morning, let them wait till the morning. And I'm like, why are you just now telling me this? I've been making them happen 24 hours a day. And so now I try to stress that with my team. Like, you don't have to answer a customer service email on Christmas. Like, they get it. And you don't have to answer it over the weekend. Like, we're not, we're not doing rocket science. We're not saving lives here. And so be with your family. You know, like, that's important to me. Like, be with your family. Take the time that you need. Don't feel like, you know, I'll let you know if something is urgent. But mostly everything can wait till the next business day. I love that you say that because... Um... I think that it's kind of robotic for people to have to think that they have to respond in that moment, right? You become a robot and not a human. And we do have to train our staff um, because yeah. also like the culture around us, the business culture around us rewards this like overwork um, mm -hmm. approach. And um, I don't want my team to feel that way, you know, and yeah. I don't want to feel that way. So we have to, um, we have to give each other that advice and that training and to give people permission to take breaks, yeah, especially with cell phones. And I know for me, I used to feel like, well, people know I have a cell phone. They know I'm working at home. So I, I'm required to respond right now. Or it's like, why didn't I? And so I think people are used to these just like super fast responses and people jumping on every single thing as soon as it comes through. And it's just like not realistic. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, I think with the cell phones and then also now everyone working from home, people, when you work from home, I firmly believe people get more work done because you're working way more. Like, it's easy to be like, you know what, let me just grab my laptop and answer this email since I'm right here. I'm just watching TV. But what I found that it's important to is kind of have a break to your day. So into your day when you're working from home, meaning you take a walk or you make dinner or whatever it is, but something has to signify the end of the work day for you. Otherwise, your house becomes work and you don't want to live at work. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't. We need to take breaks. Well, Dana, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to do this. And hopefully we'll be able to see each other in person one day. <laughs> I hope soon. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Dana. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. 
Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.